Um, but Josh is speaking in New Mexico this uh, Sunday morning, so we miss him. Uh, but we're glad he's blessing other people. And I'm excited to be able to be here and share uh, a message that's really messed with my heart this morning. So whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online this morning, um, thank you for choosing to spend some time with us and to be here. So how many of you have ever been on a trampoline? Let's do a show of hands. Okay, almost everybody, almost everybody. Trampolines are one of the greatest and also most destructive forces ever created, right? Um, <clears throat> every insurance person in the, in, in the church this morning is like, oh, please don't glorify trampolines. So, okay, I'm not going to. But if you, whether you were the child or whether you were the parent, have you ever done the thing where you lay on your back and you draw your legs in and then you launch a child, right? It's so much fun. It's so much fun. And so I've spent a lot of hours in my life with a lot of my children on trampolines. We've gone through three so far in our uh, family. And <clears throat> I remember one time when Anna Grace, who's 20, just turned 25 this week, and uh, when she was in elementary school, I was doing the daddy launch, right? I was laying down, had my feet drawn up, and I was getting ready to launch Anna Grace. And I launched her, and in this moment of delight, she fell kind of funny, kind of awkward. And instead of the moment being a moment of delight, uh, she got up. She didn't cuss, but in her little like seven, eight-year-old version of it, she was saying some pretty bad words to her dad. She got up and, ah! and I was like, what just happened? And her arm was kind of hurt. And I thought, well, she didn't really seem to land that awkward. So she went inside and <clears throat> she was kind of upset, but she was more mad than she was injured. And so Stacy saw it and she's like, are you okay? Stacy's a nurse and we're kind of like the rub, rub some dirt on it family. So <clears throat> Anna Grace goes on and then she's just kind of walking around like this, like for the next few minutes. And Stacy and I are like, drama queen <laughs> and and then like later that night her arm's still kind of like this and we're like uh drama queen and then the next morning uh she gets up and her arm is still hurting and we're like okay we need to go get her an x-ray and sure enough uh we are great parents we let our child have a broken arm and just lay there in pain um so that went from a moment that was supposed to be a moment full of delight into a moment of great disgrace, primarily for this guy, when the daddy launch broke my daughter's arm. So uh, this morning, I want us to talk about disgrace and delight, because both of those words, they, they, they kind of both pack a punch. But our story this morning from Scripture in John 21 starts in disgrace and moves toward delight. So if you have a Bible, turn over to John 21. And before we get into the, the details of John 21, let me throw out two chapters that you can't understand 21 without knowing a little bit about what happened in John's gospel earlier. In John chapter 13, Jesus is telling his believers, telling his disciples, telling the apostles, I'm going to be betrayed. You know, you don't surprise Jesus. And the Gospels always portray Jesus knowing what's coming. So it's always a willfulness that he allows things to happen, even the bad stuff. And so he says, 
I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be abandoned. And Peter says, not me. That's Peter's role, right? Always stand up and speak before you think. And I admire his courage. I'm also somebody who has spent a lot of time uh, removing my foot from my mouth. And that's Peter's spiritual gift. And so Peter says, I will never leave you. And Jesus is actually you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And that, that's how John chapter 13 ends. If you fast forward just a few hours, but five chapters into John chapter 18, now Jesus is arrested. And Jesus is being tried, kind of a kangaroo court faux trial, right? And Peter is outside, and he denies that he knows Jesus the first time. And then he denies that he's with Jesus a second time. And then he calls down curses and he denies Jesus a third time. And at that moment, better than a Hollywood movie because it happened, a rooster crows. And only Luke's account of this tells us that the eyes of Jesus, somehow he had a sight line to where Peter was. And in that moment, Jesus' eyes met the eyes of Peter. And it was a moment of shame. And it was a moment not with any delight, but full of disgrace. And that's where John chapter 21 begins. Because Jesus now has been crucified. And we're not exactly sure when and where Peter has or hasn't seen or interacted with Jesus since he's been resurrected. But we do know John chapter 21 happens on the other side of the resurrection. So it's post-Easter. So we got to celebrate resurrection last week. And chronologically, about a week later is probably when this interaction in John chapter 21 happened. So we're a week out of Easter here in 2023. About a week after Easter in A.D. whatever year it was, right? This interaction happens. And John chapter 21, we'll put a few verses up there in a minute, but... First, just let me kind of uh, tell you a little bit about the story in, chap- in verses 1 through 14. Peter starts by saying, I'm going fishing. They're on the Sea of Galilee, and he announces, I'm going fishing. Some people have taken that to mean that he's said, I'm, I'm done. I have given up this gospel call, and I'm going back to what I knew. I, I don't think that's probably correct. I think he just said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> Like, what else am I going to do? I got to do something to keep myself busy because I think, and we don't know this, but I think Peter is living in his shame. And shame is a prison. And shame is a place that nobody can exist for very long without hurting themselves or hurting others. And that's the base of this story this morning. So Jesus says, I'm going fishing, and they have a incredibly unsuccessful fishing trip. Some of us have been on those, right? Most of the time when I go fishing, which is not often, I catch fish. I do remember the last time I went hunting. Some of you are big hunters and great for you. Uh, The last time I went hunting, it was seven degrees and I sat in a deer stand for six hours and I never saw a deer. It was awesome. No, that was lame, man. I have better things to do on my Christmas vacation than freeze to death in a deer stand and never see anything. So anyway, 
this was a very unsuccessful fishing trip. And they were out, there were seven of them. Five of the seven are named, but two of them we don't know. And while they're in the boat, on the Sea of Galilee, somebody yells out from the shore, Good morning! Are they biting? <laughs> Except he says, did you catch any fish? And they call back, no! And he says, try putting your net on the right side of the boat. Which side is the right side? It's the opposite of the wrong side, right? <laughs> so they put in the nets on the right side of the boat. And all of a sudden, their net starts getting really really heavy after a full night of no fishing and in that moment i think this is verse five john the beloved disciple the one who's writing he recognizes that it's jesus and so he says to peter it's the lord so peter's still in this moment where i don't think he's reconnected with jesus and he's trying to figure out how am i going to live with the shame of knowing that the last interaction i really had with him was him looking at me after I denied him while the rooster was crowing. And so Peter, he throws on some clothes and he jumps in the water and he swims about a hundred yards to shore. And when he gets to the shore, Jesus is there and he has a fire going. And they have this moment. And I don't know what the moment was. It doesn't say what happened, if there was conversation. But <clears throat> it was just Peter and Jesus. And he's sitting with his shame. And I can relate to that, even though I don't know what happened. I would guess maybe Peter, maybe he just wept. And I mean hard cry, not just a little sniffle. Maybe he and Jesus are embracing this whole time while Peter just loses it. Or, or maybe... They're just sitting by each other, and Peter can't lift his eyes to meet Jesus's again because he remembers the last time he peered into his eyes what he had done. And so I, I don't know what happened, but I know there's kind of a cloud of shame over the beach, over this fire that's going, over this breakfast. Shame is such a powerful, powerful thing. Shame has a lot of power, but it's not power from God. And shame is a liar, and it uses phrases like, no one could love someone like me. Shame has lies, and it says things like, you always mess things up. Or shame says, who are you to think you can do this. Shame is such a liar. Greg Boyle <clears throat> says uh, that the opposite of self-love is shame, and I've got this up here. Greg Boyle is a Catholic priest who spent the last several decades in South Central LA working with gang members, and what he's done, he started a, a business called Homeboy Industries, and it's incredible, and they put rival gangs on work teams together. So it's kind of like hope works. There's hope and there's work. You get a job and you work with rival gangs. And through that, people start to realize there's value in each other and in themselves. 
and they start to feel like they're lovable. And uh, Greg Boyle, he's written three books. I've read two. I'm going to get to the third one, but Tattoos on the Heart is one. It was his first book. It's one of the most touching, gripping books I've ever read. I encourage you to read it because he just tells details about the stories of these gang members, or as he calls them, the homies. And he says, every homie, every gang member he's ever met, and he's worked with thousands, lives in a sea of shame. And if you want to know why they do what they do and why the behavior is destructive and hurtful, it's 100% because they live in shame. That's the motivator. Brene Brown says it like this. She's talking about shame, and she's a social scientist that has spoken a lot about shame and guilt over the past uh, several decades. And she says that guilt is what happens when I've done something bad, but shame is what happens when I am bad. And there's a big difference between those. We don't need to heap guilt on people, but guilt can be constructive. It can be helpful because guilt is what we feel when we have violated our own value system or something we're doing doesn't align with who we are or what we believe. But shame is when we think, I am bad. I am unlovable. And that's, I think, maybe where Peter found himself when he was talking about, uh, when he was on the verge of reconnecting with Jesus. And so even though I don't know what was happening on the beach in that moment, I do know that I've felt shame, deep, deep shame, and I think all of us have. I can think of times when I've disciplined too harshly, or I've gazed too long, or I've thought too much of myself, or I've judged too quickly, and then I did it again and again, and I found that I had descended from guilt into shame, because that's where guilt eventually leads us when we are repeat offenders and we do something again and again and again, it leads us to shame. And Jesus is not a fan of shame. He knows that hurt people hurt people. But he also knows by contrast that healed people heal people. And so on the beach, over breakfast, Jesus is about to meet the fullness of Peter's shame and bring him from disgrace to delight. And so in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, we read this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. We call this the reinstatement of Peter which seems a little understated, but let's go with that. Jesus' denial 
or Peter's denial of Jesus was public. And so his reinstatement is also public. And a lot of, a lot of words, a lot of explanation, a lot of commentary has been uh, written about the differing words because Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And the first two, he used the word agapao, which is kind of an unconditional, broad, which kind of what we refer to as Christian love. And then the third time he says, do you phileo me? Do you love me? Do you truly love me? Which has a little more of an emotional or intimate type of feel. And after reading all that, I don't think it matters. I think the point is that Jesus is saying, do you love me? And he's giving, he is giving Peter a forum to step out of his disgrace and into delight of love. And to be able to say and declare before those people that he had just denied a week earlier that he knows Jesus to now affirm, I do love you. That's, that's the point. And that's where Jesus meets us today in our shame. Do you love me? That's all he cares about. Not, are you sorry? Not, are you going to do it again? Not, do you feel bad about what you've done? Jesus is so much better than us, amen? <laughs> I mean, we just, our, our humanity, we've just got to make sure that you say the right things or you apologize the right way or you have the right amount of regret or the right amount of remorse. And Jesus just comes to us in our shame and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? And then not only does he receive that love from Peter, but then he gives him the greatest compliment. He gives him a tangible way to demonstrate that love. He says, my sheep, my lambs, my flock, you're going to take care of them. I mean, what, what greater compliment is it to somebody? How, how empowering is it to a child to be able to take over the family business? And, and that's kind of what's happening. Jesus is saying, what I have done, what I have built, Peter, do it. Just like I did. Do it like I did. And so Peter is empowered in this moment of, moment of shame, and he moves from great disgrace into delight. Jesus creates a paradigm for the forgiveness, for forgiveness in this moment. He erases the shame, and he gives Peter a chance for life and purpose. Forgiveness is so amazing and so powerful. Henry Nouwen describes it like this. Through forgiveness, the dark powers are disarmed and dispelled. Forgiveness gives someone the power to see themselves as lovable again and move from disgrace to delight. Forgiven people, forgive people. Love people, love people. And so Jesus this morning, he comes to us and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? And then he gives us some opportunities in our lives to demonstrate how we're going to feed lambs and take care of sheep. And however graceful you are, however graceful I am this morning, Jesus is more so. However forgiving you are, however forgiving I am, Jesus is more so. And there is no greater thing empowering to people than to know I'm loved no matter what I say or what I do. 
And that's not an excuse to do whatever you want. That's not an excuse to live irresponsibly. It's not an excuse to be easy on sin. It's just saying, loving Jesus is it. Like, that's, that's the thing. You love Jesus and all the rest, it'll start to make sense. It'll fall into place. It won't be easy. If you go on and read the rest of this passage, Jesus says, hey, Peter, now that you've affirmed your love for me, you're going to, you know, when you were young, you clothed yourself, you went where you wanted, but you're going to put your hands out. People are going to strap them to a board, and they're going to crucify you. That's kind of the full context of what he's saying. And when you're older, instead of having this vision of retirement where it's comfort and leisure, you're going to die the death I die. And he says, follow me. And I think Peter would say, as long as I'm loved by you, I'll go. And so this morning, we have bread and we have uh, juice at several different locations around our room. And we remember this morning that the table is the place for forgiveness and the table is the place for empowerment. The table is an opportunity for us to tell Jesus, I do love you. And we take it in a way that we not only remember the physical body of Jesus, but we remember and we have in our view the body of Christ, the church, Sycamore View, all over this city, all over this world, where people this morning are remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. So in just a moment, I'll pray, and you'll be invited to come to any of these tables and take the bread and the cup. But we also want to build in a time of prayer. And so if you have anything that is on your heart that you need to pray about, especially if you're sitting in shame like Peter was on that beach, and you need a moment to declare or affirm your love for God, this is a great way to do it. We'll have Shelly Eaton will be over here on my left uh, to receive people. Jenna King will be up here on my right. In the back will be Matt Caskey, one of our shepherds. And if you have a need or a prayer request that you'd like to bring before the whole church, Wayne Ray, one of our shepherds, will be right down here by this table in the front. Love people, love people, right? You are loved. Shame is not your home. And shame is a liar. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus, for what he teaches us about love and forgiveness and restoration. God, if any of us come in here this morning and we are in a place of disgrace, move us to a place where we know you delight in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.